many people here have had an experience in their life, any kind of loss, I want you to think of the smallest things, that, a night that you cried all night long and nobody saw it. Welcome to the New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System Consumer Conference for Persons with Brain Injury. Moving forward, improving emotional, physical, and cognitive health for brain injury. In this podcast, Dr. Nancy Chevrolati, Director of the Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System, provided the welcome and opening remarks, followed by keynote speaker Christina Rasmussen presenting The True Cost of Invisible Losses. For more information about Dr. Chevrolati and Christina Rasmussen, read their bios in the program notes. This one-day conference provided individuals with brain injury, their caregivers, family, and friends, and healthcare professionals with information and insight into the strategies to successfully manage a range of challenges that affect overall health, wellness, and quality of life. The conference was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System, a collaborative effort of Kessler Foundation, Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, and Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. The Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System is funded by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institute of Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, grant number H133A120030. This podcast was recorded, produced, and edited by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Friday, September 27, 2019, at the Hotel Westminster, 550 West Mount Pleasant Ave, Livingston, New Jersey. To listen to more conference podcasts, click on the link in the program notes for the playlist. Good morning. Thank you all for coming. I hope everybody is settled and comfortable. Um, I am, as many of you who have been to this conference before know, this is one of my favorite days of the whole year. I love spending the day here and listening to our speakers and getting to interact with all of you and hear about your everyday lives. And those conversations, I want to encourage you to have those conversations with many of our staff that are here because those conversations really do influence the research that we do and what we choose to focus on because it's important that we understand what your daily lives are like and what your daily challenges are like. So please engage, talk to each other, talk to us. We want to hear about, about what your lives are like in, everyday, in your everyday life. So um, first I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming today. I also want to thank those of you who have participated in all of our research studies in the past. We could not do our research without you. You're essential to every, all of the progress that you're going to hear about today. You're really essential. We're a team. Um, and I'm very grateful for you for all the time and effort that you have put in working with us at the foundation to try to improve the, improve the lives of persons with traumatic brain injury as well as other disabilities. I also want to thank the National Institute of Disability Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research, NIDALER. They fund our TBI model system grant. They have funded us since 1997, 1998, and that is how we are able to put on this program every couple of years. So we're very grateful for them for supporting our efforts. I also want to thank Kessler Foundation for the funding that they provide particularly this year. As you know, this year we're in a different venue. We usually have this conference on site at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. 
We are currently undergoing construction there, so we had to move off-site. We wanted to make sure the conference remains very comfortable for everyone and ran seamlessly, so we thought it was smart to move off-site. Kessler Foundation did provide us with additional funding so that we were able to have the conference in this beautiful venue in the way, and have it the, really the way we wanted to have it. So I want to thank the foundation for that. I especially want to thank Gene Lengenfelder and Angela Smith, our co-chairs. You all know them. They've been co-chairs for this event for years. They do a fantastic job, and they've put together a really fantastic program for you today. So I'm looking forward to hearing all the speakers, as I'm sure you are as well. So now I'd like to introduce Dr. Jean Langenfelder, who is going to go through some of the housekeeping details for the day. Thank you for coming and enjoy your day. So it's my pleasure at this time to introduce our keynote speaker, Christ Christina Rasmussen. Christina is an internationally recognized grief educator and author. Christina has helped thousands of people rebuild, reclaim, and relaunch their lives using the power of the human mind. She has been featured as a woman working to do good in the White House blog. Her work has also appeared in NPR, ABC News, and MariaShriver.com. She currently lives in Austin with her husband, Eric, her two daughters, and their two dogs. So please help me welcome Christina this morning. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Christina, and my story began with a very visible loss very visible story, a story that everyone could hear about, talk about, uh, look at me and know what happened to me. In 2006, my husband, my 35-year-old husband, died of colon cancer. And he um, was diagnosed at age 31. And at the time of his diagnosis, and I'm going to share with you the moment that this happened, and how everything changed from that day forward. I remember getting a call from the doctor and they're asking us for both of us to show up at the doctor's office. And he looked at me and said, it's the big C, isn't it? Meaning it's cancer. He's 31, I am 30 years old. Our daughter Isabel is nine months and our older daughter is two and a half years old. We go, we walk, it's, I live in the Boston area at the time, so I want to tell you there's a lot of snow. It's February, and I remember walking towards that doctor's office, knowing my life is about to change, and I don't know how. We walk in, we sit across from her, and she looks at us and says, you have metastatic cancer, that is stemming from the uh, pancreatic GI area. And there's good news and bad news. If it is the pancreas, you have six months to nine months to live. If it's the colon, then maybe a year or more. But it is metastatic because we found it here. So I want to let you know he was a six foot four, um, very handsome, 
Scandinavian guy. <laughs> and I met him in Denmark as I was an exchange student there um, from England. I studied in England and I went to Denmark for a semester and there he was and I met him. We got married, we had kids. He was healthy, he was strong, he was the better one from the two of us. He was the one who was healthy. He was the one who was exercising and working out and watching his food. As I'm sitting in that doctor's office, I will never forget this moment where she's, she told us that he's not going to live anymore. I got dehydrated. All of the water from my body left me. I had never experienced anything like this before. It wasn't tears, it was shock. And I remember thinking, if they don't give me water right now, I'm going to pass out. And the very first thing comes to my <laughs> to say, can I have water? I turn around to look at him, and he's as white as a ghost. And the woman, the doctor said to us, you know, there's always hope. But you know when they say that? There is no hope. We leave the doctor's office, we go back home, I grab a paper bag, and I start to hyperventilate. Couldn't breathe. I spent the next two weeks either throwing up or breathing. He was the love of my life. He was everything to me. He was <laughs> the guy that I never thought I could get, the guy that I never thought could love someone like me. He, 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 he was everything and he was dying. And I remember saying to myself, I wish it was me. He, I thought he was a better parent. He was smarter. His IQ was a genius kind of IQ. He graduated from his university and number one out of thousands of students. And I kept asking myself the question, why him and not me? Take me. This is how devastating that news was. Now, the journey started really hard, and it will become harder and harder and harder. From that day forward, even though we loved each other very, very much, this diagnosis meant something to me and meant something very different to him. He was losing his whole life. I was losing him and we split. We didn't split physically, we didn't separate. We were sleeping in the same bed, we loved each other, we were raising our kids, but, it, but the, the invisibility of our loss began in that moment in time. He spent days where he didn't want to talk to me at all. And actually, I have not shared this part, I think ever, to anyone. He would say, I can't talk to you. So my husband is dying, but he looks the same. He goes to work. You would never know that he has stage four colon cancer. When he had his surgery, the doctor came out and said to me, I have never seen someone being so sick and looking this good. And he put his arms on my shoulders like this and said, it's everywhere. Prepare yourself. Take care of yourself and the kids. He lived for another three and a half years. And every single day of that journey, we fought so hard to keep him alive. But the real fight and the real war 
was happening inside of us. I was here struggling with everything that was happening inside my house where he did not want to interact. He was depressed. He was afraid of dying, of course. And I was losing him before I lost him. I also started to lose everyone in my life. Not necessarily because they were not there and we were not friends. Uh, oh, by the way, the accent is I'm Greek, so I come from a Greek family. We are together all the time. You can't get rid of them. <laughs> so they were all there, always helping me, supporting me. Christina, oh my gosh, what are you going through? This is so hard. What can we do? They're crying. But I was living a very different life inside of me. I was living with a man that was so depressed and so down about what's happening to him that he kind of pushed himself away from me. And I would go and hang out with my friends and my family members, and they had no idea what was going on. And I couldn't tell them. You know why I couldn't tell them? That he doesn't talk to me when we go to bed at night. He doesn't want to share what he's feeling. He, he goes and shares with other people and not with me. And I'm sharing this because, because I shamed myself about this. And I said, how dare you, Christina? How dare you complain? He's dying. He's losing his life. So I was not worthy of his attention because he was busier trying to live, live his life. I was not um, strong enough to understand what was happening. So I went deeper and deeper inside and I became a ghost in many ways. I, I was a caregiver to him. I took care of him. I said yes to everything he needed. If he didn't want to speak to me, I had to understand this and I had to, to cope. I had to find a way. And remember, my little kids are young. So I am running around with babies and taking him to chemotherapy at the same time. But his needs and his wants and wishes were number one priority. Now, when years go by and you're in this place where you don't feel worthy enough to say that you're unhappy, that you are sad, that maybe your pain and loss also matters, you are living in a life that is made of shadow. And that shadow doesn't just go away when you say, no, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to step out of myself and I'm going to create a new life. The shadow stays. And what's worse is that you keep these secrets, not only from everyone else, but from yourself. You keep this life that you're living from everything and everyone. As the years went by, the day came where he was not able to breathe anymore. And I had to take him to the ICU. We were at Dana-Farber in Boston. We spent three and a half years there. And um, I take him in. Um, we drove there. He was okay. He was, he was hallucinating a little bit. The cancer was in his brain. So all of a sudden, he couldn't really understand what was going on. Um, I took him in there. I left him. They said, you go over there. He's going to go over there. And when, I, when they let me go into the ICU room to see him, they, there was a toilet right next to him. I said, what is that? So he can't get up anymore. This is two hours. So what do you mean he can't get up anymore to go to the bathroom? He said he can't. 
the next 10 days, all of a sudden, I don't know what happened and how it happened. And I still, even after all these years, I tried to figure out how this all happened. He, he warmed up. He held my hand and put his forehead on my forehead. And he would say, thank you and I love you. Thank you and I love you. Thank you and I love you. I, I know I'm going to leave and you're going to have to do this. And I, at the time, I was like, how is it possible that this guy who was so depressed with this diagnosis, who was living this life in, in anger and, and sorrow and pain and didn't want to have anything to do with me during that time, and, and here we are, we, I, I, I'm, I'm helping him, I'm, I'm doing everything, we're 24-7 together. All of a sudden, it's almost like this, I don't know what it was, and I, <laughs> we can guess how when you get closer to death, I guess there's a shift that may be taking place. He, he changed completely, and we spent the next 10 days um, getting him back <laughs> and losing him at the same time. When he died, um, I was 35 years old, and I lived in this affluent town where every family looked, I know I can't swear here, so I'm going to keep it to myself, looked perfect. The children, every Sunday, um, on the father's shoulders going for pancakes. Hello, neighbor. <laughs> Hello there, you know. Oh, life is so great. And I know your husband died, but we're not going to mention this right now because, you know, look how pretty... Look how pretty this Sunday um, days. Look, look at where you know, and 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 I, I created this duality, and this is what happens with any kind of loss, big loss, small loss. We break in half. When everything changes on the inside, everything is different, and everything looks the same on the outside. We are shattered. How many people here have had an experience in their life, any kind of loss? I want you to think of the smallest things, the, a night that you cried all night long and nobody saw it, um, a moment where you had with your partner, with your spouse, with your child that was really hard and you didn't share anything to anyone else. You wake up the next morning, the bus goes by, the, uh, the people at the coffee shop are the same. How many people walked into that life when everything is different inside and the same on the outside? Raise your hand. And how did you feel? Sad. Sad. Empty. Alone. Yes. Um, I was furious. I was a bad person inside of me. Let me tell you how bad I was and how mean I was. I, was. I hated everyone. I was jealous of everyone. Who, feel, who felt the same way at some point in your life? Thank you. Thank you for standing with me. I um, criticized their appearance. I was like, why are they living this great life and not I? How many people have said this? Right? Right? Like, and, and I wrote this, this article lately that that said, everyone else has roller skates. And there's me, hurdles. You know, I have to jump 
over these hurdles every single day when my neighbors and friends are on roller skates. And we don't say anything. What do we do? What do we do when we run into them at the coffee shop? Someone tell me. Great. We might even have our yoga pants on. Did you go to yoga? Yes. Isn't that a great class? Right? It's so awkward. And of course, right? And, and we talk about yoga. We talk about the weather. We talk about the school that our kids go to. We talk about some gossip. But we keep ourselves invisible. And you know what the, the thing is? It's not that we are the only ones who do it. The person that you run into the coffee shop, are also, they're also suffering. And they may even be suffering even more. But we do not talk about any of the things that are taking place in our life, in our house, in our heart, in our inner landscape. We make ourselves not important and invisible. Over the last 10, nearly 10 years, I have helped thousands of people get their life back after a devastating loss. And here's the biggest, most catastrophic discovery that I made. And let me tell you, <laughs> I did not, it took me two years of work with a lot of people to, to discover what is an invisible loss. We talk about the things that are visible pretty quickly. And then we pat ourselves on the back and say, look, I shared. Um, my husband left to me, my, you know, I lost my job, um, my, my mom died, my, there's the big things that we share. And we don't share anything else. And we don't share the moments that we are all alone that hurt the most. I know you know what these moments are. I know that every single person in this room has had moments in their home alone that were devastating. Who has cried on the floor alone? In the closet, so nobody can hear? In the shower, favorite place of crying, <laughs> right? And nobody talks about this moment. So here we are today, we're talking about it. And I will share a, a very devastating moment that I had that nobody saw. And actually, I hadn't really shared it for years. After uh, my amazing husband died, of course, my girls at the time of his death were four and six years old. The first week of putting them to bed, kind of just, there are no words. And that's the thing with invisible losses. We don't have the language. Especially the older daughter, the six-year-old, I would put her to bed and say, get me my daddy back. Now. Right now. I said, honey, I wish I could, but I can't. Bring him home. Bring him back. Where to go? Honey, I told you. He went to heaven. That was a simplified version of what I wanted to share. He's, he's watching over us. No, mommy, I want him back. And she would cry and she would grab the frame, this picture frame, put it on her arms and fall asleep like this. And then about half an hour later, when she was completely asleep, I would go slowly and remove that picture frame out of her brace, 
so she didn't hurt herself breaking it at night. And I would have this experience, and then I would go to work the next day, or I would wake up and just have this pretend life. And I hated everything. I hated myself, I hated my life, I hated my neighbors, and I am sorry, I am very intense when it comes to this, because it's the truth. How could I love the world when my kids were suffering so much, when my life was crumbling inside of my home? I started asking questions like this to thousands and thousands of people. And I started writing about it. Do you know how many letters I have received from people who said, I know I'm going to say me too, uh, but that's what they said. Me too, me too. Christina, I had the same experience. I was in the closet too, crying. I was so upset last night that I nearly didn't go into work and told everyone I was just at home sick. My life is so hard, Christina, and nobody knows. Did you know that 800,000 people commit suicide every year in the U.S.? And haven't you heard the phrase, I didn't know he was unhappy. I didn't know he was suffering. Some of the most equipped, well-adjusted human beings leave this world because they have felt invisible and they felt they could not share those personal and private moments in their life. It's one suicide every 40 seconds, apparently. Right now, this moment in time, I want to run to their house, to their car, to their place, and, and, and say, tell me, tell me what's inside your, your heart. Tell me what you haven't shared with anyone. Tell me the smallest, tiny things that hurt you so much, but you couldn't talk about them because you felt they were not important enough. The moments that you felt nobody loved you, the moments that you felt when someone said something and it hurt you so deeply, you cried. I have a story to share <laughs> that I wasn't planning on sharing, but I will share it. I was supposed to go to a dinner with very important people once, a few years ago. I was invited. I'm going to get, the, the more trivial the law sounds, the more important it is. And I'm getting ready to go to this dinner. I arrive at the lobby where everyone, all the important people were. Here I am, very proud. Hey guys, I'm invited. As I'm approaching them, someone starts to approach me. And I start to like, okay, this person wants to talk to me. I tell, Christina, you can't come with us. I said, okay, why? Um, we, you can't. You just can't join us because it's only for these kind of people. And I'm not going to say more details about this. And you're not exactly that kind of person. <laughs> So, I know we invited you, and I know you're here, but we're going to have to uninvite you. See? I'm standing there, I'm like, Christina, don't pass out. <laughs> I didn't feel dehydrated. <laughs> Christina, you have been through much worse moments in your life. How dare you shed a tear for this? I'm talking to myself as I'm walking towards the, the elevator. 
as they were also walking towards the elevator. And we all took the elevator together to go downstairs and go to dinner. They went to dinner. I went to my hotel. This was in New York City. I put my sunglasses on, and I cried my eyes out all the way to my room. I walk in, I throw everything on the bed, the bags, and I sit on the floor and cry nonstop for another two hours. Sobbing, rejected, abandoned, looked at as if not, I was not good enough. And I would say to myself, how dare you cry about something like this? You've been through so much worse. But what is worse? The things that people can see that we're going through or the secrets and the experiences that are kept inside a hotel room, inside the bathroom, on the floor, alone, when nobody's here to hug you, love you, and watch over you. And I will never forget it, and I will never do this to anyone else. Someone gave me a t-shirt that said, you can always sit with us. So thank you for sitting all with me. Now, did you know that the second leading cause of suicide for teenagers and young adults is also suicide? Did you know that social anxiety is diagnosed to 15 million people in the US? And did you know it takes people 10 years to go and ask for help? 10 years of crying in the shower and crying on the floor and having the worst nights of their lives and living this duality, this invisible life, this ghost life. There are many statistics and many numbers. But you know what? We can change those numbers. So when I started seeing that the invisible losses were actually keeping people in the ghost life, much more than the main big things, I started to ask different questions. I started to ask people, have you ever shared this before? Oh, no. I have never shared this before. Why? Well, who? Why? It's nothing. Is it nothing, though? You crying on the floor every night, you having one of the worst nights of your life because you felt not seen because you were the only person who was not invited to the party, because your friend called someone else instead of you, because your husband came home late and didn't want to speak to you, because the person that you're with is suffering from something that is invisible, like depression, like anxiety, like phobias, and you have no words to understand and articulate what is happening. Because you yourself have things that are happening within you. You have injuries and you have events that have taken place that nobody can see but you. We die before we die. And no more. So today, I am going to ask you a question, and you're all going to write it down. How many people, before we start here, think they have invisible losses in their lives? Raise your hand. How many people here have invisible losses in your life? Things that you don't talk about, that, you, that hurt your heart, that break your heart every day. And who doesn't? 
that you share everything that you that that has broken your heart the smallest moments that you've shared everything and when we're going to do this exercise now when you write what is invisible for you try to get to the words that that really connect that you feel that you haven't been able to see for yourself and others haven't seen it either don't listen to the people what they're saying to you listen to what you're saying that is the only true voice listen. the only true voice okay. the moment you actually start to share something invisible from your life to a person in your life that matters to you they may start sharing their story so it's not us against the world it's all of us there are very very rare people who do who do change their lives and they and, and i talk about everything now <laughs> let me just say <laughs> my parents don't know things that i write about and they're like oh i didn't know about that i used my writing to make my world visible to myself and by doing so freeing a lot of other people so when you share your invisible experience know that somewhere deep inside they're saying i had the same thing happen to me because we are all the same we are all human we all hurt inside our hearts and bad things happen to us they do and i wish i could just I, I'm looking for a magic wand. I've been looking for one for a really long time and say, everything is good. Everything is good in your life. Imagine everything is good in your life. Forever and ever, but this is not what we're here for. So everyone has pen and everyone has paper. And we're going to spend just very few minutes. I want you to write down about something a small event in your life that nobody saw. And what do I mean by event? I mean something that really hurt your heart and you did not tell anyone. And I want you to label it. When your brain gives names to things, they are no longer invisible. So just by saying, you know, I had a really hard experience with a friend or um, my partner is no longer the same person and I feel like I'm not feeling loved. What is the name? What is the title of that experience? Name it. And then for some brave souls, after you do this exercise, I would love to hear your invisible loss. And I've shared some of mine. My husband stopped seeing me as his partner because he felt I couldn't understand his pain. I became a mentor to all of my friends and my family members because nobody in my circle had gone through such tragic experiences. So, they, so I started listening to them versus them helping me. So I completely isolated myself. And I spent the next few years after his passing living... My ghost life was so extreme. And I'm going to leave you with this before your exercise. I looked the best I've ever looked in my whole entire life during the worst days of my life. Go figure. What's up with that? I was glowing. 
And I was like, why do I look so good when I am like suffering so much? The duality, the contradiction, the two lives, very difficult to merge them. So for a few, very few minutes, ask what is the thing that wish, you wish people can see and what do you call it? The smaller, the better. The more shame you have about it, the better. No judgment. We come from the same place, we live in the same place, and we're going to the same place. Two arms, two legs, one head, and we get um, beat up in life. And we have to talk about the big kicks and the small kicks. All right, let's write, it, let's write something down. And you will feel resistance. <laughs> it's the part of your brain like, what are you asking me to do right now? Talk about something really difficult. Why? And I hope I gave you the why. So, um, I know this is hard. I know this is something that we don't ask of ourselves very often, and, and whatever you write here today, I will ultimately, after my time with you, which is nearly over, I want you to find someone either here in this room to talk about this and exchange stories. And if you do have someone at home in your life that you feel like you can share this with, then do share. And ideally share something that you haven't talked about before something that you didn't think it was important to share, uh, something that um, you think about still sometimes. Thank you all for listening to me, for sharing your stories, for being brave to be here today. Your new beginning starts today. Here's to all of your experiences being shared. Thank you so much. To learn more about our research, go to KesslerFoundation.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.